Is every Christian a missionary? As we enter a new year and new listeners are coming on board all the time, it's important for us to revisit these foundational questions about the nature of the Christian life. So this week, we're diving into the archives to bring you our special conversation with Matt Ellison and Denny Spitters, authors of the book, When Everything is Missions. So you might agree or disagree with everything that you're about to hear, but we promise you'll be challenged and edified. And before we start, if you've been blessed by the show and you want to give us a belated Christmas present, consider logging on to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star review. It only takes a couple minutes, and it really helps our rankings, and it helps us get content that's gospel-centered and missional out to those who need it most. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions about missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm here today with Scott Dunford in the ABWE headquarters in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we are joined by two special guests today, one coming to us from Orlando, Florida, and the other coming to us from Albuquerque, New Mexico, Matthew Ellison and Denny Spitters. We are happy to welcome both of them today, and we'll let them introduce themselves, but both of them are the authors of a great book that's Scott has in his hands right now. Yeah, it's a great book uh, that we both read and fell in love with. I I was jokingly, before we started recording, saying I'm a little angry because it's the book I wish I had written, Um, but it's called When Everything is Missions, and uh, you can find that either on Amazon or go ahead and go to their website, but excellent book. We're excited to be able to talk to them about uh, the contents of it and the ideas behind it. So thank you for joining us today, and we'll let you guys introduce yourselves. I don't know who wants to go first. Maybe uh, I heard Denny talk first, and we'll go in alphabetical order by first name. So I, that would put Denny first. We'll do that. There we go. Well, thanks so much uh, for having us on. We're looking forward to our time today. I'm Denny Spitters, and I'm vice president of church partnerships uh, with Pioneers um, here in Orlando. And uh, and basically, we mobilize. I'm a part of a team of people who mobilize churches for the Great Commission. And uh, yeah, it's a joy to be a part of you. Matthew and I are really looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for having us today. I'm Matthew Ellison. I'm the president of 1615, which is named after the reference in Mark's gospel, chapter 16, verse 15, go into all the world, preach the good news to all creation. And we do mobilization. And our specialty is something we call church missions coaching. So we come alongside churches that are wanting to be more strategic in their approach to missions that maybe don't have biblical clarity about the local church's role in world evangelism. We take them through a process where they really forge a biblical missions vision that fulfills the mandate Christ gave, but it really takes into account their uniqueness as a church. So it's not a program-based approach. It's really a process-based approach that takes into account the uniqueness of every church. I want to mention something, too. This pertains to Denny as well. We're churchmen at heart. Uh, Though we both work inside mission agencies, we both have a long history in the local church. I was on staff at a church for over 10 years as a missions pastor, and Denny I think collectively was on staff at a church for like 20 plus years. So we love the local church. I just want to mention that. Well, Alex and I are both come from a local church background as well. Both are pastors, uh, have been pastors in the past, and I'm on a pastoral team currently. And so I appreciate that. That is important. We'll talk about why that's important, I think, as we get into our discussion. But welcome, guys. We're excited to have you here. One of the things that jumped out to me and I think is a, a constant um you know, tension that you run into as uh, someone working at a mission organization, or certainly if you're a missionary, is this idea, and it goes back to that children's song that we all probably grew up hearing, be a missionary every day. Um, 
And uh, and I remember in the beginning of the book, you in, in the foreword, it talks a, a little story um, about uh, from a missions prof uh, who wrote the foreword there. It was talking about how 99% of everyone he meets, and when he asks the question, are you a missionary, 99% of, of Christians say, yes, I'm a missionary. And clearly, as you get through the book, you realize that that is not a, a premise that you guys want to support. So why does that matter? Why does it matter what people call themselves, if they refer to themselves as a missionary or not? Um, it kind of forms, I think, the basis of your book. So why is that a big deal? Denny, I'm going to defer to you, and we'll jump in. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'll take a quick stab at it simply by saying, well, for one reason, it causes a, a massive amount of confusion, uh, a massive kind of sense of confusion in terms of people identifying themselves as missionaries and pastors in, I think, their good heartedness of wanting to uh, see their people really share the gospel and to be aggressive witnesses for Christ, use the term missionary. However, um, you know, there, there are distinct roles in the Bible when it comes to this. And, um, you know, yeah, Jeff Lewis wrote that forward and said most of his students think that he even thinks that everybody's a missionary. But he would say, does that make them missionaries? You know, because uh, he believes that every follower of Christ is to live strategic, intentional lives engaged in God's global purpose, uh, both locally and, and to the ends of the earth every day. Does that make them missionaries? And he would say, it's not the same thing. And I would even push it a little further and say, I would equate that as well to kind of looking at the whole idea of saying, well, if everybody's a missionary, we, you know, let me equate that to, is every disciple also called to care for other believers? Well, yes, we say yes. But that doesn't mean that every disciple then is a pastor or an elder. So I, I think that we're trying to spell out that there's a distinctiveness of role here that's being lost and a distinctiveness of focus that's being lost when, you know, the sign above the door says to the uh, exit of the church, you're now entering your mission field. Yeah. So so I'm just curious. I think I know the answer to this. But so so what do you what do you. What should we call those people um, instead? You know, if if, 90, if everyone isn't a missionary, what do we call when we want to encourage someone to share their faith actively, to disciple other people, to be engaged in their community? What would you call those people? You know, it's interesting. This Matthew, I, I was with Denny at the Missio Nexus event in October of 2017, and they were gracious enough to give us a time to preview our book. And we probably had, you know, 75, 80 pastors and church and missions leaders in the room. And we did a, a lot of Q&A just like this. And for the most part, I, I think the audience resonated with what we were saying. But one guy said, look, I, you know, I get it. There, there's a downside to calling everyone a missionary, but pray tell, what do we call them? And I looked at Denny and I said, how about disciples? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or Christians. <laughs> That's what Jesus called us. So you know, let, let's Let's identify with how he identifies his followers. That's right. I was going to say, too, I think we've so lowered our standards for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus that we, you know, any good altruistic work, feeding orphans, um, you know, taking care of the elderly, looking after the poor. This is the work of all disciples. But we've so lowered our standards for what it means to be a disciple that now we consider all of that missions work 
And so what we've done, people aren't doing their job as disciples. And we've thought, well, let's call them missionaries. They'll suddenly start doing their work. And I, I think if you just call someone a missionary, if they're not a disciple, they're not going to be more active in their faith. That doesn't change anything. It almost has the same effect on their you know, lifestyle as participation trophies have on the overall athleticism of, of kids in schools. It's a similar phenomenon. If everyone's special, nobody's special. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of debate and, you know, this resonates with us, but uh, I mean, you're, you're going against some heavy hitters here. I mean, I think even Charles Spurgeon, you know, has been attributed uh, with saying that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Um, Indeed. So yeah. there, and there's, you know, a, a list of quotes from people like that, probably a mile long that you could compile. And, and a lot of that is in your book. Uh, but talk to us a little bit about the difference between mission missions, missional, some of these terms that get thrown around, even some of the more technical terms like the missio dei, the the mission of God, or the missio ecclesia, the the mission of the church. And and these get used sometimes interchangeably, and and it kind of muddies the water a little bit. So how would you define some of those terms? What is mission? Yeah, you know, this is... This is really important. In fact, I would back up a little bit before answering that and simply say that, you know, the argument that the word mission doesn't occur in the New Testament is incorrect. Uh, Eckhard Schnabel, who is considered the world's leading, one of the world's leading experts on mission in the New Testament, he's authored a couple 1,000-page volumes on on early Christian mission, says this clearly. He says the Latin verb miter responds to the Greek verb apostoline, which occurs 136 times in the New Testament, 97 times in the Gospels, uh, used for uh, both for Jesus having been sent by God and for the 12 being sent by Jesus. So he makes it very clear that, I'm sorry, the word is in your Bible, whether um, it relates directly or not. And then I think that if you look at the terms that you're talking about, missio dei, mission, missional, missions, it's important to have a, a sense of what they are and the distinctiveness of them. And I, I really want to attribute this to Gary Corwin in an article, Missions with an S, big S on the end, why the S is still important. And he spells this out really clearly in an EMQ article. And he says, uh, the Missio Dei or the mission of God is about all that God does in the world. Then he says, mission, though it has a, a secular meaning, is used to define the scope of what God has given his church or churches to do in the world. Then missional, which we hear a lot of, that's an adjective used a lot today, is about what the church or churches do to reach out beyond themselves. And missions is used as a synonym for all of the above, yet missions has a more narrow meaning. And it's used to refer to the work of the church in reaching across cultural, religious, and ethnic barriers to advance the work of making disciples of all nations, as Romans 10, 14, and 15 talks about, to ministers to those with little or no access to it. And we contend that without clarity and clear understanding of these terms, and without embracing a more narrow definition of missions, the unreached and unengaged will likely stay that way far longer than they should. Oh, that, that's important. Uh, 
So, so you do, you do see that as people are wrestling with those terms. What is the mission of God or the mission of the church versus our human endeavors engaging in fulfilling Christ's mission, which are missions, which are expanding the expanding the the range of the church, the reach of the church, taking it where it's not. Is that is that one way of saying it? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say we with forty two percent or three point one or. 2.8 or whatever it is of the world's population, billion of the world's population unreached and unengaged and headed for eternity without Jesus, that that's just not acceptable. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I don't want to oversimplify this, but we would say we're all on mission with God. We wouldn't argue with that at all. We're all on mission with Jesus, but that doesn't mean we're all missionaries. And, you know, I think one of the best and maybe often overlooked um, passages of Scripture on this is 3 John. Um, We hit on it a little bit in the book, but John writes to Gaius and he commends this brother. He, He rejoices when he hears about Gaius and he says, Gaius, you're walking in the truth. And then he testifies of what that walking in the truth looks like. Well, Gaius took these itinerant missionary evangelists. And he, he cared for them. And then they testified before the church and said, Gaius, man, he lavished love on us. And it's really interesting, the language that's used here. He says, you will do well, speaking to Gaius, to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we, we may be fellow workers for the truth. And a couple things there, they've gone out, so they left. They crossed a culture. They went out among the Gentiles, uh, the word there, ethnos, other people, groups, other cultures. They went out for the sake of the name. And then he says something really interesting. He says, we ought to support people like these or such as these. So he gives them a particular role as well. He doesn't say support any. He says people such as these. So we, we would contend there's a biblical basis for missions, that is crossing cultures, as Denny said. And there's a biblical basis for the distinct role of that sent out one who goes out for the sake of the name. And, you know, again, I don't want to oversimplify this, but when everybody's a missionary, nobody's a missionary. As Denny mentioned, the nations are the ones that get neglected. Yeah. So so just to kind of like bring clarity to this and, and kind of focus a lens on this. Um, so for our listeners, you do define what makes someone a missionary in the book. So, Denny, um, maybe you can just kind of kind of rehash that for us. What if I was asked a question, what is a missionary? How would you respond? Yeah, I would say it's uh, someone who has a specific role, an apostolic role. And some people get really nervous about that. We don't mean capital A. We mean small A. We mean um one who is forward thinking and forward acting and uh, one who is apostolic in taking the gospel to places where there is little or no access, uh, where the gospel is unknown. So Romans 10, 14 and 15, the, the actual end of the 15th verse is, Um, talking about the beautiful feet of those who take the good news of the gospel to those places. So we would say that that is the more clear meaning and defined definition. Again, I will emphasize what Matthew just said. It's excellent. We're not saying 
well, only missionaries own missions. No way. The whole body of Christ is to be engaged and involved in the process of missions. Yet that doesn't mean uh, that everybody is to be a missionary. That, that's, that's really actually kind of ludicrous. Well, me and Scott are kind of like, you know, fist bumping each other here in the background and we're rejoicing because we're resonating with everything that you're saying. Now, to, to ask a clarifying question, too. So so just going off script for a little bit, uh, your, your definition of missions is very much focused on the pioneering uh, sort of Pauline apostolic mission. How would you approach the category of, of maybe some people would call it like a Timothy type missionary, meaning someone who maybe they're the second generation as far as reaching a particular people group and they go in to support a new work after it's already been started. It's still being established. You know, elders are still being raised up. Would you, and I'm just curious, would you use the word missionary for that person? Would you have a slightly different um, nuance that you'd want to put on that person? Even, you know, they're, they're going to serve cross-culturally. How would you approach you, that? You're talking about maybe the difference between like harvest missions and versus pioneer missions, which I think are yeah, two categories another, that, that are... That would be another scenario, Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I would not look at, um, you know, slicing hairs on that. To me, any th- the, the work of cross-cultural mission in terms of making disciples and then planting churches of, of, through this process of disciples is the process that Jesus talks about, I think, in, in Matthew, uh, um, you know, with the Great Commission and including actually the other as well for uh, defining um, great commissioning statements of Christ. So I, I Matthew might want to speak to that, but I, I don't, you know, I'm not looking to separate hairs. To me, the bottom line here is that it's primarily cross-cultural and primarily where the church does not have the capacity yet to reproduce itself effectively. I mean, Lord knows in places where there's, less than 1% Christians, uh, there's so much work to be done. And we would applaud any um, ministry that would seek to, um, you know, really bring the gospel in its fullness uh, to cultures and peoples that are ethno-linguistic distinctive cultures that really need it. In fact, I would go far to say uh, that you it's not geography that the reality is, is that you could be in the States right here and be ministering to uh, cross-culturally within the United States to people groups within the United States that still have limited access to the gospel. Yeah, that's excellent. I, I think that really needs to be reinforced. It's not geography. It's about crossing cultures, language barriers, ethnic barriers, religious barriers. That's a sufficiently narrow definition of missionary that that gives the clarity that you're seeking to bring in the book. And it's also a sufficiently broad definition to say you're not you're not just a missionary if you're going to what would be very narrowly categorized as an unreached people group with the the numbers of less than 5% nominal Christian, less than 2% uh, professing evangelical. Those are helpful numbers, but there's also plenty of places that need missionaries to go uh, and serve where maybe the stats, you know, aren't exactly, you know, up to up to those specifications there. Um, but that's really helpful. Uh, so Matthew, you were talking in the book um, about the importance of the local church, and we hit on that a little bit at the beginning. We're all churchmen. Um, so I, I feel like personally that that's something that's been collectively underemphasized in the missions community over the last maybe 30 years. There's been so much emphasis on 
um, and good emphasis on nationals having self-sufficiency. And there's so much, um, so many parachurch organizations that are popping up too. Why would you um, take a, an approach to missions that's very centered on the local church? Well, I, I think it's biblical. Um, if we look at the New Testament model. And, Is that the only the reason? There's no better reason than that? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. <laughs> I mean, I love the book of Acts. I mean, we have these examples of the move of the Holy Spirit, and he's still doing these things today. But the church leaders at Antioch gathered. These are the leaders of the church. It was a diverse community. These elders come together, and they worship, they fast, they pray. And in that context, the Holy Spirit said, set apart unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work which I've appointed them. And we know this was the crossing of cultures. They went to the Gentiles. This is where the world missions movement begins in earnest. And that church sent out this apostolic band. Um, again, I think this is the New Testament example that we see. On a practical note, when we farm out that calling, that mandate, to others, when we outsource missions, if you will, or hire proxy soldiers to do it for us, we're the ones that suffer. Um, we become spiritually anemic. Jesus never called us to send others to suffer in your place. He called us to suffer. And, and I want to mention, we believe that we should form partnerships with national believers without a doubt. But if we think by funding them to do missions for us, is the way it's going to happen, um, we're sadly mistaken. Yeah, and you do hear that. Um, I, I've heard it even this week um, as a pastor, you know, saying, hey, it's just it's easier and cheaper to, to fund a national to go do it, and they can do it for a lot cheaper. But there's, there's something that's lost when we're not sending our sons and our daughters or even our own, our own selves. Sending our cents and dollars instead. Our what? Our cents and dollars <laughs> instead of our sons and daughters. Yeah, and there's something... Very, very important about it's my child or, you know, for my parents, it's it's my son that's that's serving that, 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 that makes a connection to the field in a way that that, um, uh, you know, a twenty dollar check doesn't do. That's right. There's another piece of this, too. And, you know, Danny me can stand on it as well. But the other piece to this is the whole idea that native national people are better suited to do the work. It's it's. That's a highly oversimplification of something that's very complicated. It's much more nuanced than that. And so, again, we, we buy this, this idea that we can do missions on the cheap. They can do it more effectively. They can do it more cost efficiently. But sometimes the nearby reach peoples in a given place might be the, the worst candidates to send these missionaries because of ethnic strife and infighting. So, again, it, it's not always going to work anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've seen that firsthand where because of the, the relationships, those near peoples weren't able to, at least in that first wave, have any kind of effectiveness. Well, I, yeah, I think that that's so crystal important to remember is that so often we assume some things about um, next door people groups um, and you know, those assumptions are based on many times a lack of knowledge and understanding. And, you know, the, the most important thing here is, are we viewing missions, but doing missions by proxy? Is, is that what this is about? That's really, really important, not only for a church, as a local church thinks about doing mission. Are we just going to 
pay somebody to go do for us what we want. And this is deeply rooted in the state of what's happening, I think, in our own culture, where, again, we, Matthew mentioned before, we so lowered the bar of discipleship that we view the witnessing for the Lord Jesus and sharing the gospel and leading people to Christ as being the job of our pastors because we hired you to do this for us. Instead of looking at uh, Ephesians 4 very clearly, that these people are in these roles to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And we're most concerned that um, rather than just having the idea that we can hire on the cheap people to do it for us, that what we've done is we cast aside um, our um, opportunity to bring uh, before the Lord people's uh, who are going to be the, his crown that we will cast at his feet. You know, peoples who do not know the gospel, who have not heard, don't even have another Christian in their neighborhood if they could find one. Yeah, that's critical. And um, there's just something about someone sent from your community that you are personally invested in um, that, that makes such a huge difference and in the life of a church. And you do address that, too, that it isn't just about the nations, um, although we certainly care about that, but it's also about the health of the, the sending church as well, wouldn't you say? Yeah, David Penman, he, um, Archbishop in New Zealand, he said, no local church can afford to go without the nourishment and encouragement that will come to it by sending away its best people. And when, when we engage in the war effort together, there's this bond of fellowship that just falls back on our heads as we join the father together in the family business. He refreshes us. Um, again, our, our souls are poor unless we're engaging in this war effort God's called us to. I have a follow up to that. And, you know, you occasionally will, t- will maybe talk to a pastor who, who's struggling with the idea of sending out. I mean, when, when, it, when the church in Antioch prayed and was seeking the Holy Spirit, he didn't just call out anyone from the church. He called out Paul and Barnabas, which I have to imagine are probably the two people he that the, the elders there most least wanted to lose because of their skill. They were and already involved. Giftedness. If you look at Acts thirteen, I mean, they were involved in or not thirteen, uh, eleven. It, yeah, they were, they were doing stuff in that church. They were important to it. Sure. So you know, the Holy Spirit called out not just anyone, but called out their best. Um, but. But doesn't it seem too like there's a healthy it's a it's a healthy dependence on God to send out your best and then watch God use that discipleship process to raise up the next generation of leaders? And I wonder sometimes if the reason churches are stagnant um, is because they're not engaged in in sending, which isn't allowing the next generation of leadership to develop. Well, that's a great point. I mean, you're pointing out there's no flow. You know, there, there is a flow of giving and extension that God blesses every time. And, and I have seen it. I know Matthew has seen it in, uh, in churches that have boldly gone to that place. And, uh, you know, that's where the blessing of God really, you know, is engaged. I, I can't help but think of the Moravians, right, Matthew? Absolutely. <laughs> Talk about extending yourself to the end of the earth. I mean... They were engaged and sent a vast majority of their body to the ends of the earth. That's right. You know, there's a case study in the book. Um, we talk about Rock Point Community Church in Sterling Heights, Michigan, a church that I coached several years ago. And 
they embrace the heart of God to reach all nations. And it's had this transforming effect in the church. And the pastor has testified that the, the transformation in the church community and in the surrounding community where they live in Detroit has been remarkable. And he said, you know, we, we've seen a much greater work of God here than we believe we've even seen in the field we're engaging, at least, you know, yet. We, we pray that the same thing happens in the field. But he said it changed our church and people began to take their role as disciples much more seriously. And they start to look around in their own community, you know, who are the, the people around me that don't believe? Who are the Muslims here that I can engage? So that's a big blessing upon the church. It's that simple um, phenomenon of the wartime lifestyle. And you go back and you look at World War II and, and the massive mobilization efforts that took place at home. And, and whether you were a soldier or whether you were um, someone left back home working in a support role or if you were just working your everyday job or if you were a mother at home, you were involved in the war effort in some way. Um, and so there's a there's an, a, a shared effect that that has on everyone, while at the same time, nobody then was saying everyone is a soldier. It was understood. Not everyone is a soldier, you know, but everyone has a role to play. So there's that clarity of, of and that differentiation of roles there. I think you bring up something really important right there that we need to emphasize. And just because we say everyone's, you know, not a missionary doesn't mean anyone's off the hook and doesn't mean anyone doesn't have a vital role to play. Even looking back to the third John portion where he said they were fellow workers for the truth. The senders were fellow workers. Paul talks about the church in Philippi and their support of him. And he says, fellow soldiers. So every role is valuable and necessary. Not, not, one's not better than the other. We'll be right back with more of this episode of the Missions Podcast. Police in Santiago, Chile captured Cesar during an armed robbery. After the hardened gangster spent some time in solitary confinement, he emerged in a rage and rival inmates were ready to kill him too. Then he heard, Cesar, God is calling you. A group of Christian inmates encircled him to protect him from the other gangsters. The sudden act of compassion changed his heart. Soon he surrendered to Christ. Now he's training to become a pastor of a church plant in Santiago. But like many Latin American pastors, he's desperate for the theological education we take for granted. That's when an ABWE missionary met him and offered to pay for him to attend ABWE seminary in Chile. Now he's only got two years left until he graduates and enters pastoral ministry. He doesn't talk about his testimony much. He only exudes kindness and warmth. ABWE is committed not just to reaching the least reached, but training national leaders. A gift to the Global Gospel Fund impacts the whole mission. Become a partner today at abwe.org slash global gospel fund. Training is the biggest common denominator in people who make it through the first two years and people who don't. Brooks Buser, president of Radius International. Radius is a 10-month intensive training school that trains students who are going to church plants among the last 3,100 unreached groups left in the world. The driving burden is really to see every language group reached with a really strong, lasting New Testament church. Okay, so why should someone attend Radius International? I would say someone should attend 
10 radius because we see missionaries that don't make it because they weren't expecting the challenges that were coming at them. Everyone's going to hit hurdles. It's what you do when you hit those hurdles. If you've had those challenges at radius, you get to see those challenges. You get to experience some of them in the environment in Tijuana. And you also have capable staff that have a background and can guide you through a lot of those hurdles. And so you tend to do much better. I'm one of the team leaders. He says there's just something different about radius graduates. They understand and they get through things a lot faster and they do better on the field when the hard times come. What's your final challenge? Go to radiusinternational.org, radiusinternational.org. And now back to the missions podcast. Well, another question that we'd like to throw at you, uh, thinking again from a local church perspective, uh, I'm even thinking about my own church. It's a it's a smaller church, and God's blessing it, and that it's sort of going through almost a replanting process right now. And so it's exciting to be in a position where, uh, in the local church, we're asking questions and and building new uh, ministries and committees and and programs and and you know figuring out sort of how to do things with a clean slate. What would you say to a, a pastor who's listening uh, and struggling through some of these questions of how do I implement this in my church, specifically some of the budget questions that you outlined in chapter one? Everyone wants to get the most bang for their buck. If you can throw money at a national, you know, maybe that's a better solution than sending out some of our own, especially if we're a small congregation. What advice would you give to a pastor? Well, I'm going to go back to that kind of essence of the book here. Um, maybe this is already assumed, but but I think one of the most important questions that church leaders should be asking um, when thinking about the Great Commission is, does God expect us just to pool our, our good ideas and pursue the things we care about or you know, pay attention to cultural trends? Or when he gave the Great Commission, was he giving objective meaning? Was Christ conveying objective meaning? And I believe that he was. So I would say, and I know Danny shares this as well, our biggest hope for the book is that pastors would go back to the scriptures, that they would not allow half-truth, assumptions, good ideas to shape and inform their missions engagement. They would allow the scriptures to shape and inform how they do mission. I would, yeah, I would agree with that. Discover your role in the Great Commission and... Uh, and invite everyone in your body into that role because that's the role, um, our role of carrying the Great Commission forward together, once again, is the most important um, activity that we could focus on that frees us from an inwardness of um, kind of self um Oh, you could say almost narcissism today in a, in a very highly individualized and narcissist culture. And I think whenever we as a church, a local church, uh, zero in on this and participate and take the Great Commission of Matthew 28 seriously, of Acts 1-8 seriously, and when we really seek to extend ourselves as a local body to the nation's there is nothing but great energizing, generosity, and uh, excitement that can come from that, especially when it's done well and where people have thought through very clearly what is missions as we see it in the Bible, not as someone else has told me in a book, uh, but what does the Great Commission tell us as a church to be doing 
and how will we obey and what does the Holy Spirit want from us as a church? Again, Matthew pointed out Acts 13, 1 4. I think that's an excellent model for us to see. And then afterwards in Acts, as they come back and celebrate, I mean, <laughs> the Apostle Paul was sent, and all of his missionary journeys came. He was sent from the, uh, the Antioch church. Yeah, it's critical. And and, and yet, and yet, it seems like in America we're we're struggling. the The statistics are are discouraging. We have more people. I read just recently in another book somewhere close to two million people are engaging in short term mission trips of you know one to two to three weeks uh, a year every year. Two million. That's a lot of people. And yet, the the committed full time missionary uh, population is actually slightly decreased over that same amount of time. Um, so it seems like in a, the American church is stagnating and, and we have to question, you know, is in, the, in its engagement with the Great Commission and we have to ask ourselves, why? Why do, why do you think that might be? I'm going to go to Matthew 9. Um, Matthew nine thirty five. Jesus sees the harassed and helpless multitudes and they're like sheep without a shepherd. These are the unreached, you know, in our day. These are the forgotten and the marginalized peoples. And he says, therefore, you know, um, well, his stomach is tied in knots. He has compassion on them. So his gut is wrenched when he sees these forgotten, marginalized people. And he tells his disciples, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to thrust out labor, send out laborers. I, I think one of the most critical works we can do, brothers, is to beseech the Father to send out laborers, those cross-cultural servants, to the harvest field. Um, and I'm not trying to be harsh or condemning at all, but it begins in prayer. And, and there's a lot of prayerlessness in our churches. We need to pray that we have the passion of Paul, that we couldn't bear the thought of there being people groups that don't know Jesus, that have never heard his name before. And we need to pray that God would raise up and send out those Apostles, small a, from our very own congregations. And what's interesting to me about that passage in Matthew 9, if you go to chapter 10, he calls the disciples back together, and they're the answers to their very own prayers. So I always challenge her, when you start praying this way, don't be surprised if he raises up you or your own people to reach the nations. Yeah, and I, I would say your comparison with short-term missions is a great example uh, again, I'm not trying to be trite or harsh along with Matthew. We love the church and we want to see the church um, expand and grow and prosper. It's his body, the bride of Christ. We want to treat her well. One of the criticisms against uh, short-term missions was it was too costly and that uh, some of, uh, of the criticism was that it was many times nothing more than a glorified um, uh vacation for people and um you know one of the pushbacks was no this is going to provide thousands more people who will become missionaries once they go on a short-term trip well we've seen the research since then and it's just not true and we would push back a bit and say claiming that everybody in your church's mission is, is a missionary and that everything they do is missions is not working. Stop it. <laughs> it uh, help people identify what it means 
to really be a true disciple and a follower of Christ in your own context and ask for God to lift our eyes to the nations so Absolutely. that we can make disciples, not period, but make disciples of all nations. Well, amen. And amen. That, that sounds like a perfect note to end on but I'm not going to end on that. <laughs> I'm going to go completely off script. But I have one other question that comes to mind, and this is this is purely just an area of my own curiosity and fascination, uh, because on the flip side, you have churches that are that are struggling and that haven't sent anyone, and um, the maybe the kick in the pants that they even need for their own discipleship as a church is to send someone and to, to experience the effects of that. Um, but there's other churches that they've done it before, um, they have a few missionaries out there, and maybe for for them, they're kind of just feeling cajoled into, all right, let's have more of an intentional strategy. So I was having breakfast uh, a week or two ago with a, a local pastor here who they're looking at uh, revamping their strategy, and they're growing as a church, and they're thinking, what can we do that's unique? And they're asking a question that I've heard from some pastors, maybe uh, at 16, 15, you're, you're hearing this question from pastors is, is there any merit in having a strategy that one church is focused on one particular geographic region or one particular people group? Do you guys see merit in a church narrowing its focus that way, maybe adopting a you know, one community overseas that they're specifically going to bless? Or do you see it as more tenable, more biblical uh, for a church to say, no, we're not going to limit ourselves. We want... I mean, people to feel free to be called to all these various parts. And and how would you direct a, a church mission strategy that way? Would you recommend that they, they think narrowly and they pick a target or they pick a focus uh, or that they stay flexible? I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I'll give a few comments and I'll let Denny speak of that as well, because obviously he has some experience of pioneers. I work with a lot of churches. Some are doing soup to nuts missions vision. They've never really had a strategy. And so they're building it ground up. I work with a lot of other churches that have done missions for a long time, for decades, and they've never had an intentional missions vision or strategy. And so basically they just responded to requests for funding over the years. And what they ended up with was a shotgun approach to missions that was pretty impersonal. It was unengaging, maybe confusing for people in the congregation. I'm an advocate for greater focus. And one of the reasons I'm an advocate for greater focus is because missionaries today are moving targets. Um, I don't know the average number of years on the field today for a missionary, but I know it's gone down significantly. And so if your question that you're asking a church is what missionaries are we going to support, then you're going to have a moving target. Now, again, I'm not saying at all you shouldn't come behind your own sons and daughters being led to the field. But I, but I really believe that we need a focus that is tied into the marching orders of Christ in the Great Commission. Therefore, make disciples of all the nations. You know, our mandate isn't sending missionaries. That's a means. Our mandate is the discipleship of the nations. I've seen churches have incredible results where they zero in, they develop a portfolio. You know, not that they're just doing one thing, but a portfolio of opportunities where the question they're asking is God. Where do the strategic opportunities remain? Where are the people groups where you are not yet known, loved, or treasured? Then what missionaries are we going to send to complement that? Again, I'm not, I'm not saying we cut off all missionaries that aren't a part of a church's focus, not by any means. 
But but I think a people group focus will create ownership in the church. And frankly, when you consider what it's going to take to reach the people groups in darkness today, it's going to require long-term commitment, more than three or four years. It's going to require concerted effort of year upon year to really see a gospel breakthrough. So I believe in the power of focus. I, I really appreciate that. That's helpful. Very practical. Yes. I think that it's both and. Um, and I'm not equivocating here, but exactly, it is absolutely imperative. You have a vision for your church as leaders and as a church body that's a shared vision for something specific. It can't be a soup to nuts approach. Nobody can focus on that anymore. At the same time, I think it's absolutely crucial to hold that loosely in your hands as you're promoting it, as you're championing this and really seeking that God would, would move amongst the specific people group. And maybe even I would suggest rather than seeing you doing this by yourself, rather than that, do it as a church in a consortium with other churches like-minded so that there can be some real momentum possibility and capability and you can share in that burden because reaching an unreached people group is not I choose one, it's going to be done in the next three to five years. It is a significant undertaking. So at the same time, while you're focusing on that, I think it's critical to hold it loosely so that if a son and daughter of the church steps forward and says, you know, our church's vision is for this specific unreached people, the, the Hakka in China, but God has been speaking to my heart for a long time, and I think I'm supposed to go to a completely nomadic tribe in North Africa called the, and you need to be ready to respond to that sort of thing and, and to know that sometimes God works so uniquely and you need to be flexible enough while having that clear-cut vision to say, wow, how can we come alongside and prove out what God's doing in this person's life and Let's explore this with them and move forward rather than what I've seen some churches do is just go, well, if you're not going to the Hakka, you're out. And I, I think there needs to be a bit of a both and in this, and there needs to be great wisdom on the part of your leaders to see that. Again, if we're looking at Acts 13, the Holy Spirit spoke and spoke to both them, spoke to Paul and Barnabas. There was clarity and uh, it happened over a period of time, as you pointed out. They were there at least a year and a half. And, and so relationship in the process, like Matthew's pointing out, is critical. Yeah, I want to jump in here. I mean, I, I hope what came through when I communicated, it is both and for sure. Um, I, I'm working with the church right now, and they have got an initiative going on in Bangladesh among a UPG. And initially, the reason they connected to that UPG was because of some of their own sons and daughters that felt a tug, and they recognized that. They saw it as a work of the Spirit. They came alongside it, and, and they said, we want to engage this people group. Now, what's beautiful is this couple has been moved by God to a different place. But this church, because they developed a heart for this Bangladeshi people, their work is going to continue. They've networked with field partners. They're putting out uh, an invitation and a charge to the congregation. We're looking for new missionaries who will go to this field. And so, you know, th there is some upside, some downside to both. 
I think it really is having a portfolio both and. I love uh, about that approach that you're saying that discipling nations is the goal. Commissioning missionaries is a means to that goal because uh, the temptation would be to think that it's the church's job as a sending church to to be there and to sit there as a holding tank in in a wait and see mode, you know, to see if anyone feels spontaneously called and just to sort of send them wherever they feel inclined to go. But the objective is to disciple all the nations, every ethne. The means to that is sending missionaries, and it could be to a variety or it could be on a narrow focus of places. So you're teaching us some stuff here too. Uh, Scott and I also both just had to Google uh, on our own separately the expression uh, soup to nuts. That's a new one for both of us. And we've both learned that idiom today. And you have enriched our lives today with that. So I want to thank you for that. You're welcome. So, yeah, we learned what a missionary is. We learned what soup to nuts is, (laughs) which means beginning to end. And we learned a few other things along the way as well. So this has been very, very helpful. According to Wikipedia, of course. Yes. As we wrap up tonight, uh, today, I just want to um, give you guys an opportunity to tell a little bit more of if, if people are in, have enjoyed what they've heard and would like to learn more. Can you tell us a little bit about how they can engage with you, uh, your ministries, um, and find out more about your resources that you have available? Maybe we can start with you, Matthew. Uh, I'll, I'll start with the book. You can pick up the book at whenevertheringismissions.com. You can pick it up on Amazon. It's also available on Kindle. We just recently recorded an audio version. It's probably a month from distribution, uh, but you can learn more about the book. There's some resources there. Regarding 1615, you can visit 1615.org. That's 1615.org. And we have all types of resources. We do webinars, um, usually on a monthly basis. Those are free on a variety of topics. We call on our partners. Denny's done several of them to really provide valuable content to churches, to mission organizations. We also have a resource called the Mission Table, um, missiontable.org. And we gather together some leading missions thinkers. And much like this podcast, we tackle some critical, controversial topics that are impacting missions today. Seasons one and two. Great. Seasons one and two, you can watch them. Um, They're available. And season three is rolling out right now. And then missions coaching, which we've talked about a little bit. If you're a church leader or a missions leader, and you would like to explore what missions coaching might look like, we take take churches through a process where they clarify their global vision and strategy. And we really, again, we take into account their history their unique gifts, their journey. We do not have a one-size-fits-all approach to mobilization because we believe every church is, is uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit. And uh, Pioneers is one of our partners. We connect churches to Pioneers all the time. So as a vision emerges for the unreached, we will say, consider various agencies that have expertise and value propositions you need. And we point to Pioneers on a regular basis. So Denny, you're up. Yeah, wow. I, I think you've got it. You just nailed it. Um, yeah, we, you know, I think the bottom line of what we're trying to do, um, especially at Pioneers, is to help and empower churches to send well. Um, sending well is, is something that's almost become foreign to many evangelical churches. Um, we have, for the sake of both growing in um relationship with people as well as helping them understand how to send well we do 
an event in the uh, spring, usually in March, and then one that happens in the fall in November called the Church Partner Forum. Um, that's actually a free event, not just to people who are pioneers, but we've had churches who have come who have never sent anybody before. And so it's a chance to become exposed uh, over a Tuesday evening through a Thursday afternoon lunch. And um, it's three days out of the week. They can travel on those days to both come and get home the way it's scheduled. And uh, we really want to encourage churches in this process. There's no quid pro quo that we're expecting something from it. Uh, the first two people from your church are free. Um, if you want to bring two others in that, it's just kind of um, covering the cost of your lodging and meals. But um, our real heart here at Pioneers is to encourage churches. The last uh, five words of our mission statement is, is that we're seeking not just to send to the unreached, but uh, in partnership with local churches. So if you would like to talk more about that, you could contact me at dspitters at Orlando team, like a baseball team, T-E-A-M.com, dspitters at Orlando team.com. Love to talk more with you about that. We, we partnered on the mission table. We love that. And uh, any way that we can serve you or serve parts of the body uh, to encourage them in this process of, of making disciples of the nations, we're all about that. And, and did I see that you also have just launched a podcast yourself? Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. Uh, when everything is missions podcast, yes. Um, it's a podcast. Where we're going to do installments on a pretty regular basis on the book, and we'll see where it goes from there. That's right. Well, I'm looking forward to listening to that, um, and I encourage our listeners to make sure to check that out as well. Um, everything is missions podcast. I know you can find that on your website, everythingismissions.com. Um, is it also available on iTunes? It is, and Google Play as well. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. We're all on the same team. It's awesome to talk about all our organizations and what we get to do. And thank you for listening to the Missions Podcast today. If you want to get more great content on theology, missions, and practice, go to missionspodcast.com. And while you're there, make sure that you subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite listening platform. And please make sure that you also give us an honest review and a five-star rating. And please don't forget to be sending your questions to alex at missionspodcast.com, along with any other ideas for future episodes. And until next time, thank you for joining us.